Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the apocalypse. Like, I don't know if you saw the sky when you drove in, but it's like, I hope this is not our last day on planet. Actually, I'm okay if it's our last day on planet Earth, but I'm not sure I'd want to go out this way. So uh, we are like so glad you're here. For those of you who are watching online, because you saw the clouds and you just thought, nope, not going to do it. Like, welcome. We're glad you're here. Matthew 13 is where we are in our Bible study time today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Grab your notes out of your bulletin so that you can follow along. You might fire up your Journey Church International app. If you're pretty new and didn't bring a Bible, no big deal. We've, uh, we plan for you to be here. Everything that I say from the text will be on the screen, so it'll be very easy to follow along. And while you open to Matthew chapter 13, you might continue to wrap your head around 2 Corinthians 5, 7, because this really is our theme verse for this series. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth, we walk by faith and not by sight. So like if there would be a memory verse for this 17 weeks of this series, it would be 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight, which doesn't mean we don't see. It just means we see, a, we see through the lens of a spiritual worldview. We see through the lens of the kingdom. That is the goal of this series, not to help us walk in blind faith, but to help us develop a really kingdom theology, a kingdom worldview for how we see the world in us and how we see the world around us. So we're kind of laying the foundations for the kingdom through this series. The last couple weeks we've looked at the first two foundation. Number one, kingdom people really understand the condition of the heart when the gospel is sown. We understand the condition of the hard heart. We understand the condition of shallow faith. We see what kind of pain does in the life of people and pleasure does in the life of people as it chokes out the gospel and we see what the heart looks like who really receives the gospel of Jesus and makes disciples 30 60 or even a hundred times what was sown last time we were in this text before Mother's Day we learned that kingdom people understand the condition of the world we understand that while wheat is grown among the weeds and that helps us reach them and see them and know them Weeds are also grown among the wheat, so it's, it's hard. Like, we've got to live life surrounded by spiritual enemies, and God expects us to grow spiritually. Even when all the odds are stacked against us, we continue to grow spiritually. This week, as we continue in Matthew 13, we're transitioning to kingdom principle number three, and that's this, that kingdom people understand the value and the impact of Jesus over time. We understand it takes time for Jesus to have maximum impact on your soul, and we also understand really what is going on in the world when we're asked to exchange the very best that we have spiritually for all that God offers spiritually. So that's what we're going to try to unpack today in Matthew chapter 13. We're actually going to look at four different parables. All of them are about one verse. We're going to look at one prophecy from Psalm 78 and dig into that a little bit. But the goal will be to understand as kingdom people with a biblical worldview, the impact that Jesus had in, has in our lives and in our world over time, and to understand the exchange that God asks us for when he wants to give us Jesus best, what he asks us for in return. So those will be our goals. We always pray before we jump into the text and ask God to get ready to really speak to our hearts. So would you bow your heads with me here? If you're watching online, would you just bow your heads? Take a deep breath and just kind of settle your soul on this stormy Sunday morning. And ask God to speak to your heart. And tell him that you'll be listening. God, that's our prayer today, that you would speak to our hearts and help our kingdom eyes to see and hear from you. God, I pray that you will show us the impact that Jesus can have in our life over time if we just keep growing spiritually. And I pray that we will see what's required of us for us to have your best in our life. 
It's a pretty simple truth that comes out of today's text, so I pray that we will simply yet powerfully understand it. That's our prayer, and God, we ask it today in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So four parables, one prophecy. The first two parables I call parables of encouragement, and for those of us who have been a part of this series, I think we would say, like, it's about time. So we're going to look at two parables of encouragement. There are eight parables in Matthew chapter uh, 13. The first two we've already looked at, and when we looked at the first two parables, for those of us who have been traveling together with Jesus, I think we get to the end of these first two parables, and if we were to be honest, we would look at the kingdom of God and say, man, I think the, uh, the odds are stacked against us. Like, if we were to really be honest, I would, I would say what we've learned from Jesus has taught us that as kingdom people, the odds are really stacked against us. Jesus is going to throw seeds into the entire world, but three out of the four will fail. So, like, there's a 75% failure rate when we go sow the gospel. Um, when we look at wheat being among the weeds, the wheat every now and then look up and say, there's, but there's weeds surrounding us. Like, I think there's a question to ask that maybe the disciples were asking. I think the potential question after we've come through the first two of the parables that we're looking at is, like, Jesus, is it a bad thing? Is it a bad omen? Is it bad news? That the kingdom appears to consist mostly of dead seeds and intrusive weeds. Like, you've taught us a little bit about the condition of the heart. You've taught us about the condition of the world. And here's what we're learning. The condition of the heart makes it really, really hard for Jesus to have big impact. And the condition of the world makes it really, really hard for Jesus to have big impact. So I'm imagining the disciples coming through the first two of these parables thinking, man, like, this, is, this doesn't sound like the kingdom of God is a very exciting life-giving place to be a part of like jesus is there any good news and jesus is like yes and i think maybe that potential mindset leads us into the parables that we're going to learn about today in matthew chapter 13 we start in verse 31 and we'll read two quick parables that are parables of encouragement jesus is it bad that the kingdom's mostly dead seeds is it bad that the kingdom's mostly intrusive weeds jesus is like it's okay look at verse 31 he told them another parable he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You say, why are those so encouraging? Like, what's so encouraging about those two analogies. Well, I would say we learned two very encouraging lessons. The first is this. The kingdom starts small. In comparing it to a mustard seed, I would say the kingdom starts like about as small as you can get it, but it grows over time. It starts very small, but it grows over time. So the disciples had to be looking at their life thinking now, okay, so Jesus, let's, let me tell you what I'm hearing you're saying about the kingdom. Um, one, the news is not very encouraging. 75% failure rate when we tell people about you, and we're just going to be surrounded by spiritual enemies our whole life. Do I understand that correctly? And Jesus is like, yep, check. Yes, you understand that correctly. And the spiritual leaders of our day, the most influential people in the nation of Israel, um, they not only disagree with you, they hate you. Am I getting that right? And Jesus is like, yep, check. You're checking that box. Um, and our dinner party's not growing. Like the crowd during the day is growing but nobody stays afterwards for dinner. Like, we're still like just this little group of people that's not appearing to have a lot of impact. Jesus, like, yep, that's right. Like, check that box. And if they could fast forward, the question might be this. So at the end of your ministry, there's only going to be 100, like after, after three years, 
of the most powerful earth-shaking ministry in the history of the world, only 120 people will believe? That's like where we're headed? And Jesus would say, you nailed it. Yes. And we would say, that, that maybe doesn't appear to be a good formula for church planting. Like if we were to send out Christian Gracia to plant a church, and we were to say, all right, three years in, here's our goal. Um, the vast majority of people reject you and your church. And like people might be checking out what you're doing, but nobody's joining the church. Um, and most of the spiritually influential people in the city you're going to hate you and think you're crazy. And after three years, only 120 of you are left. And by the way, Christian, you're dead. Um, that would not be what we're aiming for when we plant a church. But like that, like that, it, that was the story of the church. But Jesus is like, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Because it starts small, but it's going to grow. It's going to be okay. It starts small, but it's going to grow. It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. It starts really, really small, but then it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow way bigger than you could ever imagine it growing. So we're hearing two things from Jesus in the first four parables in Matthew 13. There is this huge urgency to sow and this massive amount of patience needed to grow. Puts tension on your soul. It's like, hey, preachers and teachers and churches, you got to go sow. It's like, okay, we're going. And it's like, but you got to have patience for it to grow. It's like, okay, Jesus, like we'll do our very, very best to sow urgently and patiently wait for growth in the life of our people and in the life of the church. It starts small, but it's going to grow big. By the way, I think we should also add this for people who are like, it appears like growth is so slow, it's not happening at all. Um, There is a narrative in our world that the church in America is dying Folks, the church in America is not dying. Because yeah, Jesus' church is never going to die. Any place. Church in America is not, not dying. We could say that the church in America appears to be getting smaller right now. But that's because God is pruning it, not because Satan is killing it. Amen? And God is pruning it because he wants this thing that may need to be a little smaller, to be a little more impactful, to get ready to grow bigger in the future. Amen? So like, like the kingdom starts very, very small. But it's going to grow very, very big. And when it grows big, lesson number two is it's going to be really useful to people around it. And it's going to bring life to the world, like the mustard seed and like leaven. So the mustard seed was the smallest of seeds. I've got a packet of them. They sell them in Israel because anything that's in the Bible, Christians want to buy in Israel if they can. So they're like, you can buy this little bag of mustard seeds, which might not even be real mustard seeds. But for like 50 shekels, you can get some and it makes you feel good spiritually because you don't know the difference anyway. So I got a little bag of... Who knows? Poppy seeds. They look like poppy seeds. Maybe they're mustard seeds. Who knows? (laughs) Starts very, very small. Grows big enough for a tree. Not a tree that a bird can sit in. A tree that a bird can nest in. Nesting in scripture always means it's a place where you can find a home. It's a place where you will be protected. It's a place very specifically where young are protected. It's a place you can be nurtured. See, the kingdom of God starts really, really small, but when it grows up, it's a place where people are protected. Very specifically, young people are protected, and they are nurtured, and they can find their home there. That's the parable of the mustard seed. And then he said it's like leaven that works itself through 60 pounds of flour. That's enough flour to make a year's worth of bread. Jesus said the little nuggets that you're getting spiritually, they don't feel like much. 
But sometimes all you need is a pinch of Jesus to like go for a year spiritually. So man, keep getting close to Jesus because sometimes all you need is a pinch of Jesus to experience this really full life. I love how leaven is represented in the spiritual ceremonies of Judaism. At the feast of the Passover, they were commanded to eat bread without leaven because unleavened bread really kind of, it celebrated deliverance, but it reminded the people of hardship. 50 days later, they would celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and they were commanded on the Feast of Pentecost to eat bread that was fully leavened. Why? It would smell better. It would taste better. It would be full of life. And it was to symbolize that after God has rescued and redeemed you from a life of spiritual slavery, he literally fills you up as full as you can possibly be. So the kingdom of God, like there's some, there's some encouraging parables here. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that eventually gets, starts small, but it eventually gets big, and, it, and it's useful, and it brings life to people who are around it. That is the kingdom that we are a part of. But we understand it a little more through what I just call like a, a prophecy explanation. Because as Jesus continues, he just gives number two this, this explanation of prophecy that helps us understand why he teaches in parables and kind of what he's up to. So he says in verse 34, Matthew kind of referencing in the middle of all these parables, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. If you have your Bible, circle the word prophet. And just out next to it, write Psalm 78. He's referring, he's referring to the parable prophecy of Psalm chapter 78. If you have your Bibles, we might as well turn over there because if Matthew's mentioning it, mentioning it through the power of the Holy Spirit, he must want us to go look at it and understand it fully like his first generation of readers would have understood it. So in Psalm 78, we, we meet a prophet who in the Old Testament scripture is called a seer, and his name is Asaph. If you look under the heading of Psalm 78 in your Bible, you might see it called a mass school. That means a worship song of Asaph. You say, who, who exactly is Asaph? Asaph was somebody who David hired to run his record label. Now, I'm putting that in modern day terms for those of you who are like, say what? Like, David wrote a lot of songs. Like, you could say David's record label was called Psalms and his producer was Asaph. He hired this guy Asaph to write songs to tell spiritual stories. And he must have tasked him with the task of writing a song to talk about why God chose David and why spiritually he was so unique in Israel. So he begins this song that David tasked him to write in Psalm 78 by saying, My people, hear my teaching in verse 1. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. You might next to that write the word picture. So let me give you a picture. I will open my mouth with a parable, and I will utter hidden things, things from of old. So you might circle those three words, things from of old, things from of old. What are the old things he's going to talk about? He's going to tell us the history of Israel. So between verse 2 and verse 21, he'll say, here's the history of Israel. There were slaves in Egypt. God rescued him. It was unbelievable. He did all these plagues, and then he brought them through the Red Sea. Like, then he killed the Egyptian army. It was incredible. They saw God face to face. They heard God with their own ears. They knew who God was. It was incredible. But then he says this in verse 22. 
but they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. They heard him, saw him, they, they knew about him, but he didn't believe in him. So the next nine verses will say, so once they got in the wilderness, even though God had done all these unbelievable things in their life, every day they complained because they thought he was going to leave them. Maybe right now you are a wilderness Israelite. Maybe your life has enough moments of God moving in your past to convince you to trust him in your present, but you wake up every day and complain about what he has not given you. Those are the next kind of nine verses we read in Psalm 78. And he's like, so God shows up again. They complain about water, he gives them water. They complain about food, he gives them food. They complain because they would rather have meat than bread. So he gives them, like they complain about everything and at every, at every turn God helps them. Yet in verse 32, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. They heard, they saw, they knew. They just didn't believe. They didn't have an information gap. They had an inspiration gap. They had an illumination gap. They heard everything they needed to hear. They saw everything they needed to see. They, they were taught everything they needed to know. They just chose not to believe time and time and time again. So Asaph would say, y'all needed a picture because you weren't getting it. He used the word parable. What is a parable? When you look at the Greek word parable, a parable, the, the phrase parable means to throw something alongside of something else for the purpose of a clarifying comparison. It means, I've got this concept that's really hard to understand or to explain to you, so let me show you a picture because it's kind of like this. A parable is simplifying and clarifying something. I've been trying to tell you, but you're not getting it, so let me show you a picture of something you do understand. It's like that. That's a parable. So the people of Israel needed a parable. They needed a picture. They needed a picture of what it looked like to have a heart for God. You and I in Matthew 13, we needed parables. We, we want to know more about the kingdom of God, but it's so far above our intellectual capacity that Jesus is like, let me give you a picture. Let me show you what the heart looks like. Kind of looks like a farmer sowing seeds. Kind of too hard to explain to you, but you understand a farmer and seeds. Um, let me tell you what growing spiritually looks like. It's really hard with all the spiritual warfare, but let me draw you a picture. It's kind of like weeds surrounding wheat in a field. Like Jesus is like, he's trying to draw pictures. And in Psalm 78, the people of Israel are trying to figure out like, what does it look like to, to, to believe in God? We've heard about him. We've seen him. We know all about him. What does it look like to believe in him? And Asaph says, look at David. He's your picture. So he'll say in verse 65, Psalm 78, after the people keep rejecting, they hear, they see, they know, they just don't believe. So in verse 65, the Lord awakes from his sleep. And it says in verse 68, he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. In verse 70, he chose David, his servant. Why? Verse 72, because he shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. David's like, hey, Asaph, I need you to write a song. And here's what I need you to write. I need you to tell the story of Israel who heard about God, saw God, knew about God, but never really believed in him. I want you to contrast that with my life and let them know like they need to, they, they, like they need to believe like, like I believe. So in Psalm 78, the psalmist is like you, like, you need a parable. You need a picture, not so you can hear and see and know. You do all that, but so you can believe, so you can put your trust in God. Be like David. 
And it's funny because now that we see Jesus talking in parables, we can kind of line up Jesus together. And there's actually, there's a historical truth, there's a theological truth, and then there's like a real practical truth that I think are, are good for us here today. I'm going to throw up on the wall and then I'm going to talk about them. Like what do we learn when we put Jesus and David and parables and Psalms together? Well, first we learn God chose David as the king of Israel because he had a heart for God that people could see clearly. Remember, Asaph was like, people need a picture. Because they kept hearing and seeing and knowing, but they didn't get it. So they needed a picture. What does it look like to believe in God? Hearing and seeing and knowing isn't enough. What does it look like to trust God and live your life believing in God? Enter David. Letter B, Jesus spoke in parables to make it clear which of his listeners had a heart for God. Because Jesus said there's a whole history of spiritual people who hear, see, and know. But ones whose hearts are open are totally different. And parables will distinguish that. The people who can understand the picture of the heart behind the truth of spiritual information I'm giving, those are the people who are going to live in my kingdom. But letter C is maybe the most important thing. Only when you lay the gospel of Jesus alongside everything that occurs in life will you truly see things clearly. See, Jesus is the parable. You're like, I've got this going on in life and I just don't understand it. You need to lay the picture of Jesus beside it, then it will make more sense. You say, here's what my family is going through right now, and we can't understand it. Lay the picture of Jesus beside it, and it will make more sense. You say, I just went through this devastating loss. I don't know that I can ever recover. Lay the picture of Jesus alongside that, and you'll begin to have hope. Christian, I'm struggling with a debilitating illness or anxiety. Lay the picture of Jesus alongside. Like Jesus is the parable that we lay beside anything and everything we walk through, because only then do we see anything in life clearly and spiritually, amen? So Hebrews 3.1, the author of Hebrews tells the people in Hebrews 3.1, you have to think about Jesus. You have to think about Jesus. Jamie, I'm not sure what the last song we're singing today is, but I want to change it to Jesus over everything. So if you would let the team know that when I'm done preaching, that's what I want to sing. As we were singing today, Jesus over everything, over doubt, over shame, over all anxiety, over sickness and pain, like it's like, that's the thought. Whatever you're going through, you got to lay Jesus right beside it. Because then you say, okay, I may not understand it, but I understand my way forward. I may not understand it, but I understand how I'm going to get through it. I may not understand it, but I realize Jesus also went through something similar. Like, Jesus is the picture I have to lay right beside everything in life to understand it the way that God wants me to understand it. So Matthew's like, man, this is just like Asaph. Teaching the people of Israel, if you don't see David, you'll never understand the heart for God. Jesus is teaching these things, saying, if you don't understand the kingdom, you'll never really understand anything in life. So there's this tremendous teaching right in the middle of these eight parables that I just call prophecy explanation. But then as we kind of continue in Matthew chapter 13, we get to number three. We get to the last two parables today, which are what I call parables of exchange. So two parables of encouragement. A prophecy explanation which really clarifies for us all of life. Only when we lay Jesus right next to them. Only when Jesus is the parable can we see life clearly. And then we see these parables of exchange. Where are they in verse 44, 45, and 46? We see parables of exchange. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, 
he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. There's so much to unpack from these two parables, but I'm going to try to pull just two truths, two what I call kind of kingdom truths from these parables that I think are really important for us. Because we are one of two civilizations that I think needs to hear this and know this. So when you look at these parables, I think it's really important to understand that in historical Israel and in modern America, it's really important to understand that your faith is not something you can inherit. Faith is not something you have because your grandparents had it. Faith is not something you have because your parents have it. Faith is not something you have because your spouse has it. Like in, in historical Israel and in modern America, when you look at two countries that kind of tried to align themselves up under God, like as theocracies is still on our money, just probably not existing in our hearts. There are a lot of people born in America that think, oh, I'm a Christian because I'm an American and it's the same thing. That's what was happening in Israel 2,000 years ago. Jesus in John chapter 8 had this massive discussion with these people who said, wait a minute, we're related to Abraham, that makes us Jewish, that means God accepts us. And, and Jesus is like, you cannot rely on the faith of your ancestors, you have to have your own. So this, this parable's throwing them off because he's like, what do you mean you have to go find faith? I thought I inherited my faith. And Jesus is like, no, you did not inherit your own faith. Every person has to find their own faith through a relationship with the Messiah. So he said, it's like a man looking for a treasure who does not have an inheritance, but he finds one. And then he gives everything to have it. It's like a man looking for a, a pearl of great price who doesn't have one, but then he finds it and he leverages everything to get it. This would have made a whole lot more sense 2,000 years ago than it would today because they did not have banks 2,000 years ago. Last week in Switzerland, somebody uncovered in the ground a treasure trove of 1,300 Roman coins from the time of uh, the Emperor Constantine that are like giving historians a, a glimpse into the world of Constantine around 300 AD that they've never seen before. Say, why were there a bunch of coins buried in the ground? Because there were no banks, and if you ever left to go on a trip or you left to go to war, you would bury your treasure where only you knew about it, so it'd be safe, and then you'd come back and get it when you came back. But if you didn't come back from war, there are treasures buried all over, specifically the European and Asian continent, from families who buried their stuff and thought, I'll get it when I get back, who never came back. This was specifically true in Israel because they were a nation who had lived in exile several times. And if they didn't want their treasure taken by the enemy and they thought it'll be a short stay and we'll come back and get it, they would just bury all their treasure and think, when I come back, I'll get it, and most never came back. So around Israel, there were treasure hunters who like lived their whole life to find under the ground some treasure that they could claim and it would be theirs. Jesus said, like, people who find the kingdom, it's like that. They didn't inherit it from their parents. They didn't inherit it from grandma and grandpa. They found the treasure and they gave everything in their life to have it. It was like a pearl of great price that was found and passed on. So, like, I think it's really important to understand your faith cannot be inherited by your children. You can lead them to it, but they got to choose it. And your faith cannot be inherited from your parents or grandparents. At some point, you have to choose it and lean into it. And I think the second kingdom thing that we learn as we look at these two parables that just was so important we can't miss it, is that you don't add Jesus to, like, your assets in life. You don't add Jesus to all the other valuable things you have. You have to trade in everything. You have to exchange everything in your life that you have to be able to receive what Jesus wants to offer. So the person wasn't able to find the treasure in the field and just add it to his treasures. 
He had to choose his treasure or the new treasure. And he sold his old treasure so he could have a new treasure. The pearl merchant probably had some pearls, just not one this nice. And he couldn't just add it to his. It's like the only way I can afford that one is to sell everything. So I can have new treasure or old treasure, but I can't have them both. So he sold his old treasure to get the new. That is a picture of the gospel. That is a picture of Christianity. You do not add Jesus to your life. You look, my life for me or Jesus' life for me? You have to choose one. Because Christianity is an exchange. My life for me or Jesus' life for me? Why can't I just add Jesus to my life for me? Like that, that's, I have everything I want and what Jesus offers. You can't afford that. You've got to sell everything in your plan so that you can afford his plan. That's the exchange of Christianity. That's what Jesus is teaching, among other things, in these parables. And that's what the Apostle Paul said he had to do. He had to cash in. If you have your Bibles, you might flip over to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't, again, it'll be on the screen. But I love this because in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I had to cash in my chips. I found the treasure of Jesus, but I could only afford it by trading in everything I had before Jesus. Because Jesus was more valuable. So he says in Philippians 3, 7, whatever were gains to me, I had to consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I had to consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What is Paul saying? When I heard the gospel, when I heard about Jesus, when I heard about God's love for me, when I heard about forgiveness, when I heard about peace, when I heard about direction, I kind of had a plan to have that in my life, but I had to cash in my plan and pick up Jesus' plan. I had to consider my plan garbage compared to the value of this, but it was an exchange that I could make because it was offered to me. In Mark 8, 35, Jesus would say it a little more simply. He would say, he who tries to save his life is going to lose it. But he who's willing to cash in the chips, he who's willing to lose his life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. Now, it's hard for someone to say that unless they back it up first, and Jesus did. Because if Jesus would have fought to save his life, he would have lost ours. But because he was willing to lose his, he is able to save ours. But the price he had to pay was to cash in all the chips. See, the price of the spiritual promise of Jesus came through death. And it's interesting because in the history of Israel, the exact same thing had happened. In Genesis chapter 12, a man named Abram was made a promise by God that he and his descendants would bless the world by living for him and by eventually having a Messiah who would change the whole world because of God's love for the world. He was promised that he would have a land, he would have people, there would be kings that would come from him. And eventually his descendants and his spiritual descendants would span across every culture, generation, and all the geography of the world. Abram was promised that when he was 75 years old and when his wife was 65 years old. When his wife died at 127, 62 years later, Abram had a son, only one, but he didn't have one inch of land, promised land in Israel. And then his wife died. And he went to a guy in the land of Canaan by the name of Ephron, son of Zohar, who I believe is also a character in Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I, like I read that name and I thought, that's a, that's a great Marvel name, Ephron, the son of Zohar. Um, and he said, like, 
my wife died and I want to bury her in my promised land. God has promised it to me, but I don't own any of it yet. And he said, there's a cave in the end of this field, the cave of Machpelah, and I'd like to bury her there. And the guy said, okay, I'll sell you my land. And only through death did the people of Israel receive the first bit of the promise. And then Jesus would come. And Jesus would say, I'd like to purchase all these people's souls, whoever wants to follow me and be with me. But only through death could that purchase be made possible. Salvation is like a treasure hidden in a field. And death unlocks the key of the promise. Salvation is like a pearl of great price. I find it interesting that in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, we're told one day there'll be a heavenly city. And the way to enter that heavenly city is through salvation in Jesus. But symbolically, we're told the way to enter that city is through gates. And if you've ever heard one of the jokes, we all end up at the, what kind of gates? It's a pearl of great price. That is our entry into the heavenly city. That is a relationship with Jesus. If you know him, remember the exchange he's asked you for. If you know him, remember the encouragement. If you know him, remember the direction. If you know him, remember how much the world needs to see a picture of someone who looks like Jesus so they can get it. And lean in spiritually. What has God said to you today about your hope, about your walk, about your life, about your salvation? And what do you need to do about it? As we close in prayer, consider those things and then act. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but hearts are open. Jesus, we thank you for what you taught us today. Four many sermons that were each like a sentence long that we were really grateful to receive. Thank you that the treasure hidden in the field was unlocked for us by the death of Jesus. And thank you that the way to follow Jesus, a pearl of great price, the entrance into heavenly relationship is through Jesus. We see him, acknowledge him. We want to follow him and we want to live on mission for him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, faith begins very, very small, but it grows very, very large and very, very impactful. But you have to receive Jesus by cashing in the chips of all the things that you were trusting in and planning to do. And by receiving the treasure that Jesus has for you. If you've never done that, you can do that today. Right where you are, from your heart to heaven, you can just pray something real simple like this. You don't have to pray it out loud, but you can just say, Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me. Jesus, I need you. And I am willing to exchange my plan for my life. For your plan for my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurts lead me into my future today by faith which means I don't understand it all but I feel like God is telling me to lean in today I receive the invitation to follow Jesus thank you for your death on the cross your resurrection on Easter Sunday and the life you offer me now and beyond the grave through Jesus today I want to become a Christian if you just prayed with me in just a second, we'll give you an opportunity to let us know so we can pray for you and walk with you on your new spiritual journey. Christians, what did you hear today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but hearts are open. Christians, what did you hear? What did you hear about small faith that grows useful? What did you hear about the world needing a picture? What did you hear about 
needing to lay Jesus beside everything or nothing will make sense. What did you hear about an exchange and what have you been trying to hold on to in your plan that you've been trying to add Jesus to rather than just releasing it to him? If the spirit of God has spoken to your heart, receive that revelation. Confirm to God that you heard it, that you're going to do something about it and begin to move forward into transformation today. God, we love you and we need you. And Lord, our prayer, our hope, our only chance is Jesus over everything. So as we worship you today, help us to learn to take Jesus and place him beside everything going on in life so that it might make some spiritual sense to us that allows us to become more like Jesus. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.